This episode contains some swear words, which I haven't beeped because, you know, it's a podcast about language. Anyway, sorry mum. This is Accentricity, a podcast where I examine the eccentricities of language and identity. This is episode one, Making Assumptions. In this episode, they'll be asking, why do we find ourselves jumping to conclusions about someone as soon as we hear them speak? Where do our assumptions come from? And why is it that we can have such strong feelings about what accents we like and what ones we hate? My friend Jenny didn't grow up posh, but people often assume she did because of her accent, which, in her words, is a lot posher than she is. My mother didn't really do anything, at least not anything legal. (laughs) My dad didn't, you know, he did lots of different things, but he was like a manual labourer and things like that. So, and we were quite poor growing up. We weren't well off for things like that. And so I kind of felt a really, that I had a really strong working class identity Mm. and a voice that didn't match that at all. Jenny was born in Nottingham and moved to the borders when she was eight. Shortly after that, she ended up in foster care, moving from home to home for the rest of her childhood. People who meet Jenny as a care leaver are often surprised when they hear her accent. People who know her by her accent first are often surprised when they find out that she used to be in care. Just after I'd finished uni, um, because I got a first, so they were like, let's pay lip service to Jenny as like the first kid in Ken the Scottish borders to go to uni so I met with like a manager in the council and and he was like um yeah you're very eloquent that's not what I was expecting Mm. and kind of making out like that that was a compliment. After uni Jenny went out to look for jobs. When she started going to job interviews she found out that the accent that she'd always felt so disconnected from was weirdly beneficial. Even though she felt like it had little to do with who she was people kept finding roundabout ways of telling her that it was something to be proud of. You know, I was told in no uncertain terms that the reason, one of the reasons I got my job, not just because of my qualifications, is because I could talk to clients. Jenny's now doing a PhD. Unfortunately, it's still pretty rare to find a PhD student who didn't grow up well off. It's particularly rare to find a PhD student who grew up in care. Jenny still struggles with feeling a bit out of place in the academic world. I asked her whether her accent is flexible enough to allow her to, well, pass. I think it's flexible enough to pass, but that, I think that's why I find it so annoying. Because you don't want to pass all the I time. I don't want to pass all the time. I'm quite open about who I am and where I've come from, and like I really don't care that people know I'm in foster care. Like That is part of that I was in foster care, that's part of my identity that I totally own because I don't see why people make assumptions about kids in care. I think that's really annoying. So I feel out of place underneath, but for them, they think it's perfectly normal and natural. Why wouldn't I be doing a PhD? Because I sound like I belong. And I think that's worse than if I had a different accent like I don't know you kind of I 
wear my identity on my sleeve by telling people, but I don't wear it the way I speak. And I wish that the two chimed so that I wouldn't have to explain and challenge people's assumptions about me. We all make assumptions about people based on the way they speak. The words they use, the way they pronounce them, even the way they link them together to form sentences. How would you feel about me if I told you that I was like literally starving? Or that I don't need to go to the shops because I've already went this week? Or that it wasn't my fault because I never even done nothing? I took my microphone and went to the Barra's Market in the east end of Glasgow. I asked people about how others respond to their accents. What assumptions do you think people make about Glaswegian accents? Uh, and do you think they're right or not? Oh, they're absolutely wrong. <laughs> um, they think they're rough, ready. I think it's a stigma that, that goes from the past. Um, you see you come from Glasgow and it's like... There is a big element of truth in it, I suppose. I mean, it is a working-class place. It's, it's a, You know, there is all these things levelled at it, but one thing it is that sort of tends to get mixed, missed in it is that it's a really truthful place. And that's the thing that... I, I, that is why I keep coming back now. And then, and I remember growing up when I was at college, um, you, you, you were sort of like... Even me saying, ye... I was aware of that, and I was aware I was being judged on that. So you absolutely try to change your accent to be accepted in some sort of ways as an equal. Uh, and I, the older I've got, the more I'm beginning to, like Billy Conley, I'm beginning to enjoy swearing. I'm beginning to love saying, you know, fuck off and things like that. Whereas, like, as a student you'd be like, oh, that's not so good, is it? You know, things like that. Where now it's like, unleash the Glaswegian accent. <laughs> Since childhood too, sometimes we've been made ashamed of some of our Scots voices, uh, particularly in, in television broadcasting. Um, when I was wee, I remember hearing a Scots voice speaking on the telly and asked my mum what was wrong with this person's voice because I'd never heard a Scottish person speaking on television. They always go, oh, you're a fiery Scottish girl, aren't you? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I am, but that it's not just because of my accent. It's like who I am. But you could find anyone from Scotland, and like people from Scotland might not be fiery. It's like, but people just assume. Like sometimes I'll say something and I don't mean to be angry, and somebody will be like, sorry, sorry. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not angry. We all respond to linguistic differences. It's natural to have emotional responses to accents liking those that we have positive associations with and disliking those that we have negative associations with. But I think the trouble is that we can forget that these responses are subjective, that they really say more about us than they do about the accents themselves. We can end up taking it for granted that certain accents, words, speech sounds or grammatical structures are inherently attractive, friendly, aggressive, sloppy or incorrect, rather than just different from the official standard. Eva's doing a PhD in linguistics at Glasgow Uni. We work in the same department, but I specialise in sociolinguistics and she specialises in phonetics. What's that, you ask? It's 
uh, about studying sounds of speech, basically. That's the <laughs> so, most basic thing you can, you know. And right down into the details of like the physiology of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like... so, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. So how we produce the sounds with our vocal tracts, basically. Yeah. Me and Eva both study the details of how language works. How the little pops and clicks and purrs that we make with our lips and tongues and larynxes come together to form words and sentences, arguments and political speeches and podcasts. One detail we've both learned a bit about is the glottal stop. So when I say a word, so if I was to say the word glottal Mm -hmm. um, and I was speaking fast and I was speaking Mm -hmm. to a friend, I would normally say glottal. Mm -hmm. Using the glottal stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So when I say glottal, that sound there in the middle, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I've always been told not to drop my T's. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to call that dropping your T's? Um, well, yeah, exactly. That's a good question. I don't think it's completely fair because there is a different sound instead of that T sound, right? So... It's not exact. So if you were going to drop your T there completely, it would be something like gall. Right? Ah, okay, yeah. So so if I say so if I'm speaking more kind of <laughs> properly and formally, I would say glottal. Mm-hmm. And if I was to drop my T's, I would say glol. Mm-hmm. So what I'm really doing is more replacing the yep. T with another sound. That's it. Mm-hmm. So in phonetic terms, what exactly is a glottal stop? So you close your um, vocal folds, or what people, like uh, you know, in lay terms, refer to more as um, um, sort of vocal cords, right? They're not really like cords at all, but um, <laughs> that's what people think of them as. Um, so that exact thing, thing happens inside your larynx with your vocal cords. They close off, and then you release the air, and there is this little explosion. You often hear people say that glottal stops are lazy or sloppy. That it's just people missing out the letter T because they can't be bothered talking properly. But then next to Eva's description of the phonetic properties of the glottal stop, that doesn't sound quite right. And anyway, when the Queen speaks, she drops her R's, saying farmer like fama, and I've never heard anyone call her speech sloppy. So... All my life I've been told, I remember being a kid and being told it's water bottle, not water bottle, mm-hmm. um, and being kind of scolded for that and being told, specifically being told that if you say water bottle, it sounds lazy mm-hmm. or sloppy or like mm-hmm. I just can't be bothered saying yeah. t. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it is it harder? Does it take more effort to say t? Does it take more effort to say water to say water bottle than it does to say water bottle i wouldn't be sure what takes more effort really <laughs> i mean it, it could be a study to measure how much energy people use to produce <laughs> to produce this sound as opposed to the other sound uh i would assume probably not much of a difference it's just a different <laughs> sound <laughs> when you look at language so up close you can start to become a bit detached It's like when you zoom into an image on a computer screen until it turns into pixels and stops meaning anything. You can start to wonder why anyone would care. But when you zoom out and the pictures become the bigger picture, it's obvious that we really do care. 
As soon as you connect speech sounds to people, they become more than just noises. So what would you say to someone who said to you that they just think little stuff sound horrible and lazy and sloppy and terrible? I would say that I guess that's just their opinion. <laughs> right? I mean, like, think of, I, I thought about it in, the, in this way. So, for example, if a particular group of people that maybe for so, for any reason is not very liked in, by, by the society, right? It doesn't matter. For some whatever the reason, starts wearing a particular color. Let's say they wear blue, right? Everyone else who doesn't want to be associated with that group will say, oh, we're not going to wear that colour, right? So it's it's very, very much the same thing, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of... It's not to do with the colour itself. Yeah, the colour is just a colour. Uh, yeah, it's just a colour, right? So yeah. it's the same about the sound, it's just the sound. Yeah. But people have their opinions and attitudes towards things. So, mm. uh, yeah, that's probably where it came from. Yeah. <laughs> We often think of our attitudes to accents as aesthetic preferences. But these attitudes are strongly linked to our attitudes to the social groups that use them, to our experiences with individual people, and to what we've been taught to take for granted. There are power hierarchies at work that can even lead to us thinking that our own language use is substandard. I don't like common Glasgow accent. To come whispering that one. Mm. And you know what, sometimes I forget. And I actually, if my mother was, if she'd turn in a grave sometimes because I'd come out with some slang, and my mum would have slapped me. And I think, where did I get that word? How did I manage to get a Glasgow word like that? The Glasgow accent is particularly maligned. And one thing you hear a lot is that people just don't understand Glaswegian accents. That's something a lot of people told me at the Barras. Like this barber who spoke to me while he was cutting a client's hair. Has there ever been any times you felt your accents been got in the way of anything or put you at a disadvantage? I uh, one time when I was trying to order um, something in KFC in Oxford Street in London, thought I was going to have a fucking nervous breakdown, man, because um, they just couldn't get it. They just couldn't understand my accent. It was impenetrable, man. Um, no matter how much I slowed it down, I ended up leaving without any food. What were you trying to order? Um, a chicken burger and a zinger meal. And they just weren't getting it? Yeah. I think they thought I was trying to say a chicken burger in a zinger meal. <laughs> There's already a fucking chicken burger in a zinger meal. I just wanted a chicken burger on the side of a zinger meal, which was a chicken burger and a zinger meal. Also, that's probably that's a weird order, as well as But scientifically speaking, no accent's easier to understand than any other. Whether or not you understand an accent largely just depends on how familiar you are with it, as well as whether or not you expect to understand it. Because people, some people don't understand my accent, some people don't try, that's a, a lot A lot of time it's people don't try and understand your accent, like they just ex expect you to speak proper, like I'm putting air quotes up by the way, <laughs> yeah, um, for, the, for, listeners. for the listeners, um, like when it's like speak properly, I'm like I'm speaking properly, like I'm not, it's not like I'm speaking like, I don't think I do, like, obviously I have a strong accent, but I don't sound ridiculous, like, you can't, un you can't not understand what I'm saying, I speak properly, like... What do you think people mean when they say speak properly? They, th they mean speak the Queen's English, I'm like, no, I'm not from fucking, I'm not even from England in the first place, like, yeah. 
like fuck off. Like the Queen's English is proper for the Queen, but exactly. Because <laughs> I, I do have a lot of friends that speak RP, receive pronunciation or whatever. Like, and that's fine. And I don't ever like. Yeah, I do make fun of them sometimes, but they make fun of me, so that's fine. But like, I can understand. I've never had the difficulty understanding what anyone from anywhere in the UK is saying. So why do people not try and understand what I'm saying? It's, it's not even that they can't, it's that they don't try. That is the thing that annoys me. They, no, it is, like, they don't... I just don't. They don't, like, they don't, they don't try and, like, tune their head into listening to what I'm saying. They just think, oh, she's Scottish, I can't understand what she's saying. Repeat that. Speak slower. I'm like, I will, but also at the same time, just actually sit and try and understand what I'm saying. Do you think it's to do with familiarity as well? Because obviously you don't tend yeah. to get as many people with strong yeah. regional accents on yeah. the TV. Yeah, it is, yeah, 100%. Because even when you get people with regional accents on the TV, they do speak slower and they do speak in... Like, whenever you hear a Scottish person on the TV, you don't go automatically, they're for Glasgow. You go, they're probably for Edinburgh. Because I wonder sometimes if, like, the reason that we can understand people speaking RP, even if we haven't met that many people who speak RP, is because we see it on the TV and they hear it on the radio all the time. It is probably that, probably, like, 100% that. Language is often used as a way of attacking or laughing at the most precarious groups in society. Young people, working class people and migrants who often arrive in the UK with several languages but are seen as deficient if they speak English with a foreign accent. Are you aware of your own accent in Glasgow? No, I mean, yes, because my Scottish pals keep telling me about it, you know, so, but also, right, uh, no, for me, I've, I've got the feeling that for a French person, my accent is very soft, but all my English, Scot- Scottish friends, they say, oh my God, you speak like hello, hello, like in the, you know. <laughs> in this case, it's just harmless teasing, but it isn't always. Working in schools over the past few years, I've met young migrants who are really badly bullied just because they sound foreign. Language can become a weapon to attack people with, but it can also be a means of fighting back, building community, refusing to conform. I think there's no doubt that using language not sanctioned by the establishment can hold power as well as disadvantage. I've done a lot of community work years and years ago, and I know by having a certain accent, strangely enough, it can work in your favour, though. Uh, for example, in here, it's like, how, how's it going? You know, that compared to say something like hello can make a huge difference two of them mean the same thing but the presentation of both are quite different in school we're taught about correct grammar but there's nothing especially correct about it it's just the type of grammar which is used by the most powerful groups in society and which is therefore enshrined in grammar books and passed on through education Yes, it's useful to be able to use it when you enter the workplace. It's also useful to own a suit, but that doesn't mean there's anything inherently wrong with jeans. Suits and standardised grammar are symbolic, like using a secret handshake at a job interview, showing our understanding of and willingness to follow a particular set of social rules. From speaking to people, I think it's clear that the Queen's English isn't the only type of language in the UK that has any power. If it was, surely we would all want to speak it all the time. And that's just not the case. For some people, 
having grown up with a non-standard variety of English is seen as a burden. But not everyone sees it like this. And many people feel strongly attached to the ways in which their language use differs from the standard. Like Jenny at the start of the episode, my friend Colette told me about a run-in she had with someone who assumed that telling her that she was well-spoken, i.e. posh enough to pass, was a compliment. I... I equally, I had, I had like a session with a voice coach because I was working at a theatre company and they were like, uh, would anybody on staff like a session with a voice coach? I was like, yeah, definitely. So that was like not for the, like just, just for fun. Yeah, Yeah. totally just for fun. And it was really nice. And, um, I was, I was talking to him and I was like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, I think that the, uh, the old like East London accent can get a bit stronger when I'm a bit. Uh, you know, nervous or something. And, and he was like, oh, I, uh, darling, I don't hear that in your voice at all. <laughs> and I felt really affronted. Oh, yeah. I was like, how dare you? I'm sure he meant it as a compliment. <laughs> I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Oh, darling, you have a lovely voice. You couldn't tell you're a commoner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no regional accent at all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was kind of like, that's how you can tell that, you know, that I went to comprehensive yeah. school and I... <laughs> Does someone take that away from me? I just, yeah, felt annoyed with that. In school, I was taught that there was good language and there was bad language, and that was that. I always had a sense that there must be more to it than that. But I didn't have the vocabulary to ask the right questions. When I started studying linguistics at uni, I found out that once you start to examine language beyond ideas of correct grammar and sloppy speech, things start to get so much more interesting. In the coming episodes, I'll be talking about the ability that we have to use different voices with different people, how kids learn to talk, how our singing voices relate to our speaking voices, and what it means to be multilingual under the overbearing shadow of the English language. I'll be releasing a new episode every fortnight. You can listen on the website, accentricity-podcast.com, and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For updates, follow the podcast at AccentricityPod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. There's a page on the website which allows you to donate to the podcast, Donations will go towards the production of Series 2, which I'm already working on some ideas for. Thanks to John McDermott for production support, Seb Philp for making the music, all of the amazing contributors for this episode, and Oshin Keeley for making the excellent point about the Queen dropping her R's. See you next time.